when your stomach is full of the Word of God and your hands are busy doing the work of God, then when the enemy comes in to steal, to kill, and destroy, he doesn't have any margin in your life to work with because your life is filled with the presence and the power and the Word of God. As you know, we're about to go into Valentine's season. Love is in the air, right? Or let's hope that it is. Let's hope that love is in the air. And I know that we have a lot of married couples in our church. We have a lot of singles in our church. I know that we have a lot of young couples in our church that are contemplating marriage, that are at this moment preparing for their weddings. And so I thought it would be good to take a few weeks in the month of February and talk to us about some issues that, first of all, that we face as individuals, but that we also face in relationships. But I feel like the Lord wants somebody to know this morning, I don't know what your life has been like up until this point. It might have been great. You may have made some wonderful, wise choices. But then there may be some others here this morning like me who early in your life may not have made so many wise, good choices. And maybe there's some of you here this morning that feel like that because of the choices that you've made, that you'll never recover from those choices and from those decisions. But I'm here to tell you this morning that from this day forward, your life can change. Amen. The title of uh, my message this morning is The Point of No Return. Now, I, I think that most of us are familiar with what this term is. It originally was an aviation term that pilots would use as it related to the capacity of their fuel. Pilots know that there is a certain point that they get to and they have to keep an eye on their fuel capacity because they know they get to a point of no return. They know that once they go past that point that they will not have enough fuel to turn around and go back where they started. I learned from experience the point of no return a few years ago when I fulfilled an item on my bucket list to skydive. And they told us that there is a point of no return. There's no question where the point of no return is when you skydive. The moment you jump out of the airplane, you are at the point of no return. This morning, I want to introduce you, and maybe I'll be introducing you to him for the first time, maybe not, but I want to talk to you this morning about a, a guy by the name of Esau. Because Esau made a decision in a moment of his life that kept him from going somewhere that eventually he decided he wanted to go to, but could not get there. And the Bible gives us Esau's story in Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, we find the story back in Genesis 25, but we find as a warning, we find as a cautionary tale, the writer of Hebrews 
sharing with us about that tragic decision and choice that Esau made. Now, normally I'll wait till the end of my message to give you what the big idea of that message was or what the main point of that message was, but I feel like I need to give you that big idea up front this morning. And that big idea sounds like this, and that is that it's possible for us to do something now that will cause us to get to a future we don't like when we get there. I want to read that again, that it's possible for us to do something now that will cause us to get to a future we don't like when we get there. That's where some people in this room are today. You are at a future that you don't like now that you have gotten there because of some choices that you made in the heat of the moment. We're going to see how this is literally lived out and plays out in the life of this guy by the name of Esau. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. The writer says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, look at this, he could not change what he had done. I, I like the way that the message par paraphrase translates this passage of Scripture. Notice, it says it like this, watch out for the Esau syndrome. So this is what we need to watch out for this morning is the Esau syndrome. What is the Esau syndrome? Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. In other words, Esau made a decision in the heat of the moment that later he regretted, and when he wanted to try to go back and undo what he had done and get the blessing that he had lost, it was too late. Even though he pleaded with tears to get the blessing back, he could not do it now let me just give you a little bit of context back in genesis chapter 25 actually we need to go all the way back to genesis chapter 12 because in genesis chapter 12 we are introduced to esau's grandfather esau's grandfather was a man by the name of abraham and you remember that God appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and he told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation come out of you. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great and you are going to be a blessing. He said, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. And what he was referring to there is that out of his lineage, out of Abraham's bloodline would eventually come the Messiah, would eventually come Jesus our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who would reconcile us to God. But not only that, he also told Abraham, he said that your descendants are going to be like the bright shining stars in a night sky. Your descendants are going to be like the grains of sand on the seashore. He said, that's how much I am going to bless you. He said, I'm going to bless you coming in and I'm going to bless you coming out, Abraham. I'm going to bless you in the city. I'm going to bless you in the field, Abraham. 
Abraham. I'm going to crown you as the head and not the tail. You're above and you are not beneath. And understand that the blessing that God gave to Abraham was not just a blessing for him. Abraham understood that that blessing would not be fulfilled in his lifetime. That it was a blessing that would be passed to his children and to his children's children and to his children's children's children. And so God speaks to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a son because God told Abraham, he said, well, if I'm going to have all these descendants, how's it going to happen being that I don't have a child? I don't have a son. And the Lord said, I'm going to bless you with a son. Years passed before that promise was fulfilled. And the Bible says that when the promise was fulfilled, that Abraham was very old. Very. And and the scripture is specific in that. That he was very old, as was his wife, Sarah. Matter of fact, the Bible even says this. The Bible said that his body was as good as dead. And that's not a compliment, I'm telling you, not a compliment. His body was as good as dead. But do you know what the Bible also says? It says that Abraham believed God. Even though it seemed impossible, it was past impossible. But Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And God blessed him with that son, Isaac. And so the blessing now is on Isaac. And then Isaac and Rebekah would get married and they would have two twins and they would name those twins Jacob and Esau. And isn't it amazing that when we refer to those two twins, we always refer to them as Jacob and Esau. But really, it should have been Esau and Jacob because Esau was the firstborn. He was born a few seconds before before his brother Jacob, which meant that he should have been the one that carried on the blessing of Abraham. That when you go back and you read the word of God now and it says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it shouldn't have been that way. It should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But what did Esau do? Well, In Genesis 25, he's been out hunting. He has an unsuccessful hunting trip, and he comes back home, and when he gets back home, the Bible says that he is famished, that he's weary, he's worn out, he's weak, he's vulnerable. And when he comes in, all of the sudden, he gets a whiff of some stew that his brother Jacob is cooking. And he is so hungry that he says to his brother, I've got to have me some of that stew. And so Jacob begins to negotiate with him. And he said, I'll give you a bowl of this stew if you give to me your birthright. Can you just hear Esau now saying, what? You mean you want me to give you my blessing?" You, you want me, and, and really the birthright, being the birthright of the firstborn, that meant that you got a double portion of your father's inheritance. You got twice as much as anybody else in the family. It meant that you would be the chief and that you would be the priest over the family. And Esau maybe was thinking, you mean you want me to give all of that up? Even the fact that one day my name might have been mentioned in association with the Messiah because he would have come forth from my loins, come forth from my bloodline you want me to give up all of those blessings just for a bowl of soup Jacob says yeah that's what it's going to cost you and Esau says okay you've got a deal and in that moment 
Esau sold his birthright and all he got out of it was a bowl of soup. Now, I know we listen to a story like that and we think how stupid can he be? What a dumb thing to do. But did you know that you and I, if we are not careful, we can do the exact same thing in the heat of a moment. We can make a decision that could cost us God's purpose and God's blessing and God's destiny toward our lives. Now, when I look at this particular story, there are four things that I think we need to take home with us today as it relates to this story. And understand now, the writer of Hebrews is giving us this as a warning. He is giving it to us as a, as a tale of warning that, that we need to watch out so that we don't have that, 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 that Esau syndrome to where in the heat of the moment we make decisions that we later regret. And here's the first thing that we need to take home from that this morning. And that is that your desires, if you're not careful, your desires can keep you from your destiny. Your desires can keep you from your destiny. Now for Esau, it was a desire for food. It was an appetite for food. He allowed his appetite and his desire for food to cause him to make a decision that was not a right decision in a moment of weakness and in a moment of vulnerability that, that cost him ultimately the destiny that God had intended for his life. But how many of you know that whether it's an appetite for food or a desire for anything else, appetites are appetites, desires are, are desires. Let's, let's talk about our sexual desires for just a moment. I know we don't like to go there sometimes in church. But I think that we need to understand that the desire, a uh, sexual desire that we have is not a bad thing. It's actually the way that God created us. It's actually the way that God wired us. But how many people get in trouble? And notice in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Consider those of you that are sexually immoral, like Esau who was godless. If we're not careful in the heat of a moment, we can make a decision based on our desires that will keep us from the destiny that God has for us. I mean, it's one thing to have a sex drive, but it's another thing to let sex drive. Now, that's tweetable right there. It's one thing to have a sex drive. It's another thing to allow sex to drive. It's one thing to have a desire for food, but it's another thing to allow food to drive, to allow food to be in control of your life. The Apostle Paul talked about that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Look at what he said. He said, for I have told you often before, and I say it again. And look at this. He says, with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. He said, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Another scripture says it like this. Their God is their belly, or their God is their stomach. In other words, he said, they are ruled they are controlled by their appetites they are ruled they are controlled by their desires rather than ruling over their desires and controlling them they are being controlled by them and he said they even brag about shameful things and look at this he said they think only about this life on 
earth. And that's how desires that have not been submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how they think. Those desires don't think anywhere past the temporary. But listen to me this morning, the temporary will keep you from the eternal if you're not careful. And so one of the things that we need to take home with us this morning is the fact that if we're not careful, our desires can keep us from our destiny, from God's destiny for our life. Here's the second thing that we need to take home from this story today, and that is that when your stomach gets empty, your standards get lower. I thought I would hear a few, ooh. When your stomach gets empty, your standards get lower. That's why it is a colossal mistake to go grocery shopping on an empty stomach. Has anybody ever made that mistake before? (laughs) I know I have. And my wife and my kids will tell you, they know when I go to the grocery store on an empty stomach because I come home with all kinds of junk food. And when you have an empty stomach, You will eat things that before you thought you would never eat. That you would never put into your stomach. And this is what happened with Esau. I'm absolutely convinced that if he would have come in out of the field from hunting and had had a successful hunting trip and had killed himself a deer or something like it, and would have dressed it because that's what he would have done. Because you see, Esau, if he would have been around today, he would have been on the outdoor channel. If Jacob was around, he would be on HGTV. That's that's how different these guys were, okay? And I'm I'm sure that if he's out in the field and he kills a deer, he's going to dress it and he's going to cook it then. And then he would have come home with a full stomach and he would have made a completely different decision if he would have come home strong and on a full stomach. Amen? But when our stomachs are empty, our standards get lower. And I want you to look at what he settled for. He settled for a bowl of soup. He gave it all up for a bowl of soup. Listen to what the Word of God says in 2 Peter 1 and 10. I'm going to tell you why this scripture is important. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. He says it's important that we're clear about what our call is. That we're clear about what our destiny is. That we're clear about what our purpose is. That we're clear about what our identity is. Why? Because there's too many people walking around in this world with an empty stomach as it relates to their calling, as it relates to their purpose, as it relates to their identity in life. And when you have an empty stomach because you don't know who you are in Christ and you don't know what your purpose in God is, then you're going to believe any lie that the enemy tells you. But I'm here to tell you something this morning. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a... You are a holy nation to bring people out of darkness into light. You are the adopted chosen sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are somebody. And when your stomach is full and you know who you are in Christ and you know what your calling is, you don't fall for the lies of the enemy. You don't settle for something less than what God has created you to be. Oh, somebody ought to give a good amen right there. Hallelujah. 
Notice what the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 11. David said it this way. He said, I have hidden in my heart your word, Lord, that I might not sin against you. Because David said, I'm not going out into the world hungry. I'm not going out into the world on an empty stomach. He already knew what that could do. And we know the story of David's moral failure. And he understood that if I'm going to stay strong, if I'm going to fulfill the destiny that God has for my life, i got to keep my stomach. And I'm, talking, I'm not just talking about your physical stomach. I'm talking about your spiritual stomach this morning. Keeping it full of the Word of God. That's exactly what Jesus did. Now, I know that the enemy just saw that he had a physically empty stomach when Jesus was out in the wilderness and he was being tempted of the devil. He had just come off of a 40-day fast, 40 days and nights that he had not had anything to eat. And when was it the enemy came? He came at a moment when he thought that Jesus was going to be vulnerable. He came at a moment when he thought that Jesus was going to be weak and that he was going to be able to take advantage of that situation. But what he discovered was, is even though his physical stomach might have been empty, his spiritual stomach was full. Because when the enemy said, hey, you can make these stones into bread if you want to, Jesus looked at him and said, nope, it is written man shall not live by physical food alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God it's not just physical food I need it is spiritual food that I need to keep me strong amen in the Lord and in the power of his might Two more times he would tempt him, and two more times Jesus would respond saying, it is written. Why? Because his stomach was full of the Word of God. And when your stomach is full of the Word of God, when the enemy comes with his lies, you can come right back to him and say, it is written in the Word of God. I know who I am, and I know whose I am. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody help me preach here this morning. Amen. You see, you need your stomach full of the Word of God, but then you need your hands busy doing the work of God. Because it really is true that idle hands are the devil's workshop. That's why Jesus, when his disciples came to him after going into town and buying some groceries, and they got back and Jesus wasn't hungry, Jesus looked at them and said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Amen. Because see, when your stomach is full of the Word of God and your hands are busy doing the work of God, then when the enemy comes in to steal, to kill, and destroy, he doesn't have any margin in your life to work with because your life is filled with the presence and the power and the Word of God. Amen. So, when your stomach's empty, your standards get lower. But here's a third thing we need to take home with us today from this story, and that is, in all you do, think, follow through. Here's our problem if we're not careful. In moments of temptation, we don't think at all. All we're thinking about is the moment right here before us. The pleasure that I need, the satisfaction that I need from this, the fulfillment that I need from this. But in all you do, think, follow through. Can you imagine that when Esau came in and sat down at the table, famished, hungry, and smelled that soup. And, and let me just say something to you. The enemy is in the kitchen right now. And he's got his crock pot on. 
slow cooking the death of your calling of God on your life. And you watch it because his timing is perfect. He'll show up at your weakest moment. He'll, he'll show up right after you and your spouse just had a big knockdown, drag out fight. He'll show up when you're at your weakest moment. He'll show up when you are worn out. And all of a sudden, you'll get a, a sense, a smell. All of a sudden, it'll hit your nostrils, that soup that is simmering. And oh, it smells so good. And you'll think that everything that you need, every answer that you need is in that crock pot. But no, I'm telling you as your pastor this morning, the enemy's just trying to lure you in and take away your birthright, your calling, your purpose, your destiny in the Lord. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. So, so don't go around saying, hey, I'm the only one that's ever faced this kind of temptation. No, you're not. All of us have been tempted. There's, there's nothing new. It's what the Bible tells us. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And then he goes on and he says, God is faithful that he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You see, if Esau, when he pulled up to that table, if he would have just taken a moment and just pushed away from the table and thought things through, how is this decision going to affect more than just my today? How is this decision that I'm about to make going to affect my tomorrow and my next week and my next month and my next year? or two years from now, or five years from now, or ten years from now? What if he would have just taken time to hit the panic button and say, hold on, let me think through this decision I'm about to make. And isn't that usually the solution to most of our problems that we're encountering right now? If we would have just taken time to just push away and think things through, maybe we wouldn't be where we are right now. But he said that with every temptation, he will show you a way out. How many of you want to live life with a wise heart, making wise decisions, making wise choices? Did you know the Bible tells us how to do that? In the book of Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, notice what the psalmist said. He said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you know what that means? That means that when you are about to make a major decision in your life, you need to think beyond today. You need to think about how is this going to impact me tomorrow? How is this going to impact my children tomorrow? Next week, next month, next year, five years, ten years, twenty years from now. I mean, here we are thousands of years later and we're still talking about Esau and the decision that he made. But if we would learn to number our days and say, you know what, it might bring me some pleasure and satisfaction right now, but tomorrow it's going to destroy my life. Next week it's going to destroy my kids. Next month it's going to destroy my family. Next year it could cost me my job. It could cost me everything I have. If we would just take time to think through, to follow through. And I know that that is a sports, that's an athletic term that's used in baseball or in golf. 
that the power is in the follow-through. If you always stop at the point of impact, you'll never drive that ball as far as you could drive it if you follow through all the way. That's where the power comes from, Summerton. Listen to me, folks. That's where the power comes from. It's when you sit down and you think through things. The power to follow through. And then here's the last thing that I want you to take home from this story today, and that is that your entire life can change in just a moment of time. I want the Holy Spirit to allow that to sink in. We see that from a negative perspective in Esau's life. Because look at what the scripture says. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He went back into his father after Jacob had gone in and deceived his father and gotten his brother's birthright. And Esau finds out about it. He goes back into his father and he's weeping. God, Father, isn't isn't there something you can do for me? Isn't there some kind of a blessing, Lord, that you can pray over my life? But he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You said, but I thought God was a forgiving God. I thought God, oh yeah, I think God forgave him. I really do because we see that later in his life, he reconciles even with his brother. But even though he was forgiven, he still had to suffer the consequences of his bad decision and bad choices. So yes, God is a gracious, merciful, loving, forgiving God. And he will forgive you. But you may still have to live with the consequences of that decision, that choice that you made in the heat of the moment. That's that's the negative perspective, but I wanna speak something positive over your life this morning. Because just as your life can change in a moment, your entire life can change in a moment from a negative perspective. Listen to me. Your entire life can change in a moment from a positive perspective too. Because you need to understand that if you will say to the Lord, I'm reminded of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and they brought her before the Lord and they had rocks in their hands and they were ready to stone her. And of course, Jesus deals with her accusers and sends them away and, and looks at the woman that's still laying there and says, woman, where are those that condemn you? And she said, there's no one. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But here's what he said to her. He said, but go your way today and sin no more. In other words, from this day forward, make better choices. From this day forward, you need to completely surrender your life to me. From this day forward, you need to live for my glory and you need to live for my honor. From this day forward, your life can change because Paul said in 2 Chronicles 5, 17 if any man or woman is in Christ they are a brand new creation behold all things have passed away and all things all things become new can we thank God this morning hallelujah amen 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 none of us would be here this morning were it not for the grace of God. Listen, you may still have to suffer the consequences. I've seen it over and over and over and over. Everywhere I've been. 
from the first church I pastored, people making choices that today they're still living with those consequences. When I'm in Wichita, Kansas, and I got a young man that's been coming to my church, his name's Matthew, handsome, handsome young man, bright future ahead of him. Made a bad decision and choice one night in the heat of the moment. Got into the car with a few other guys that he should have never gotten into a car with. They drive by a guy on the side of the road randomly. Pull out a gun. One of the guys pulls out a gun. Boom. Shoots. Kills the guy. And now Matthew's serving life in prison. But I know that God forgave him for his part in that, even though his, his part was small. Because they called me the next day after I went down to the prison where they were holding him. And I prayed with him. And I watched as God forgave him and gloriously saved him. But he still had to suffer consequences of that. A young lady who was in our church in Atlanta when we first went there. Pregnant. At like 15 years old. Made a decision, a choice. It would be easier to abort this child than it would be to have this child. Or to give this child up for adoption and she went for an abortion and for years she lived with the consequences of that the guilt the shame but I'm so proud of her because she didn't stay there and even though that she still struggles with that decision and that choice that she made and if you talk to her about it today she'll still just well up with tears and sob over that decision she made and the, and the shame and the guilt that she still experiences from it. But let me tell you what she's done. She's turned her mess into a message. And she goes all over the world now. All over the world. Even has a, a regular television program there now in Atlanta, Georgia, where God is using her to help steer young ladies in the right direction so that they'll not have to live their life with that kind of guilt and shame. And I could go on and on and on. Yes, you may still have to suffer the consequences, but listen to me. You will not do it alone. God will be right there with you. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.